Good morning, Rabotai. Breakfast today is sponsored in loving memory of Naftali Gad Alava Shalom Le'inui Nishmat, Naftali Ben Le'ah, and Nisan Gad, sponsored by their son uh, Michael Gad. Uh, breakfast in loving memory and Le'inui Nishmat Salah Ben Simcha, sponsored by his grandson Charles Darwish. And as well, and sponsored by in loving memory of Nathan Marcus Alava Shalom, Le'inui Nishmat Natan Berachel Alava Shalom. Sponsored by Gabby and Nathan Marcus. It's also sponsored on the occasion of the Hilula of Rabbi Yaakov Abu Hasera. Please say the Berachot Leilui Nishmato. And as well, Leilui Nishmat Benjamin Hai Ben Frecha. Sponsored by Jonathan Mavashev. Rabotai, we see an amazing occurrence happen in this week's uh, parasha. One I think that bodes well for each and every one of us. Moshe Rabbeinu is saved by a woman who's not even Jewish. Her name is Batya. She's the daughter of the king. Batya. She comes down to the river. She comes with all of her uh, attend- attendants. And she's going to the river. And all of a sudden she sees floating in the river a basket. And who's in the basket? Moshe Rabbeinu. That's what we, we're told about this occurrence. Chazal are trying to figure out what's going on. Why is this woman sitting here at the river? And the answer that they give is that she came down to the river on that day to do the tevilah. She wanted to become a giyoret. That was why she was coming to the river. She was trying to uh, become Jewish. First of all, what's interesting to me is the question itself. Why is that even a question? You're telling me that she came to the river and she saw Moshe Rabbeinu. Why was she at the river? She was at the river because Moshe Rabbeinu was there. You know, there's an old line in, uh, in English literature. It goes, ask not for whom the bell tolls. It tolls for thee. It tolls for thee. Who's it tolling for here? Who's the bell toll? It's tolling for Moshe Rabbeinu. You want to know why she came to the river? You have to ask me that question? I think the answer is a little bit different. The question wasn't why she came to the river. The question was rather, in what merit did this random woman have that she should be able to be the one that saves the life of Moshe Rabbeinu? who's ultimately going to go and become the leader and the redeemer of the Jewish people from Egypt. But not just that. He's going to be the deliverer of Torah from the heavens. He's going to bring the heavenly creed to an earthly world. What merit, what brought her to that place at that time to give her that zechut? Answers the Chachamim, she came on that day, she came to, uh, uh, to, to become a giyoret. She sees this basket all the way floating out in the water, and what does she do? It says, Vatishlach et amata. And she sent her hand. Literally, the word means amata is her maidservant. But our Chachamim explained, Davar another interpretation. Amata can also mean her arm. She reached out her arm. And her arm stretched out many, many amot to be able to bring. A miracle happened to be able to bring the basket. Uh, to, to uh, all the way to the shore. Now I want to ask what I think is a very powerful question. And maybe with this we'll kind of open this idea just a little bit together today. We know that HaKadosh Baruch Hu only performs miracles in this world when He absolutely has to. If He doesn't have to perform miracles in this world, He doesn't. Why? Because the idea of having a miracle in this world runs counter to the purpose of God creating this world. If you saw a miracle every day, would you have a difficulty in deciding whether or not to get up to go to synagogue in the morning? You wouldn't. If every time you did a sin, 
HaKadosh Baruch Hu sent a bolt of lightning and it zapped you in the arm and you felt terrible pain. Would you have free will to be able to choose between mitzvot and avirot? You would not. So therefore, miracles in the world is counterproductive to the purpose of the world, which is allowing people to make a free will choice whether or not they want to do something positive or they want to do something negative. So here we are standing, there's a basket in the river. Why does her arm need to stretch out? Why can't she wade into the river? Why can't she swim into the river? If it means her arm, why couldn't she send her maidservant into the river? Why did God need to, to, to perform this seemingly unnecessary miracle of her arm stretching out way further than it, when it, than it could? Rabotai, I want to share with you beautiful and exactly miduyak, the lashon, the expression in the words of Rabbeinu Yonah. Rabbeinu Yonah in his Sefer Sha'are Teshuvah where he talks about the gates of Teshuvah, he says... Because God helps those who return. To a place where their natural hand could not reach. If a person does teshuvah, it's impossible if you think about it. With all of the buffeting winds of our world, for someone to do teshuvah in 2018, impossible. You're sitting here in a world which denies God's existence. In a world where everything but spirituality sells. How is it possible that you should be able to do shuvah? It's impossible. How is it possible that you should be able to fight the scorn of other people, the scorn perhaps even of your own family? How is it possible to fight a Yetzirah when the world feeds only the Yetzirah, not the Yetzirah Tov? Where the most famous people in our world are not Sadiqim. That's not the famous people. That's not the powerful people. How is it possible for me to, to do teshuvah? It's impossible. But HaKadosh Baruch Hu helps a person who's trying to do Teshuvah in a way she'en yadam maseget that their hand would never be able to reach. Literally the words that we're discussing here. Batya sits at the riverbank. She stretches out her arm. She really can't. It's impossible for her to be able to reach using her natural hand. But Boreh Olam stretches her hand out to bring in the basket. And I asked why it was an unnecessary miracle. The answer is that miracle was very necessary. Because the miracle wasn't for when Batya got the basket, but rather it was to encourage the decision that she was going to make the minute she opened the basket. She opens the basket and she sees Moshe Rabbeinu. Why is Moshe Rabbeinu in a basket? Because there's a decree by Paro that every single baby Jewish boy needs to be thrown into the river. Who is Batya? She's the princess, the daughter of Paro. She opens up the basket and what does she find? The child that her father is trying to drown. That's why he's in the basket in the river in the first place. Now do you understand? The, the most rachok, most far decision possible in Batya's mind when she discovers this baby is to do what with the baby? The most unlikely decision. The, the furthest decision from reality is for her to bring that baby back to her own home. Bring it back to be a prince in Egypt. That's the most unlikely decision. How is she going to pull that off? Where is she going to hide the baby? Is her father going to kill her? There's so many questions. So God was preparing the ground for Batya to make a decision that was an impossible decision by showing her that when you try to do the right thing, even if it's impossible, it seems out of your reach, literally. Just make the effort and it will work out. When she saw how her hand stretched to be able to bring the basket, she then was able to make this difficult decision, the next decision in her life, which was to bring the baby into her house, which ultimately led 
to Moshe being the prince of Egypt, which ultimately led to him having the wherewithal to stand up to Paro. Rabotai, I saw an unbelievable story and he gave me goosebumps. It's a story from a man whose name was Rabbi Wine. He heard the story from the Hafez Chaim himself. The Hafez Chaim <clears throat> tells a story about a little village out in Russia, where we know in Russia you had a tofa'a, an occurrence called the Cantonists. Who were they? The Tsar at the time, he would take Jewish boys that were five years old, he would steal them away from their families, draft them into the Russian army, for 25 years, they would become soldiers. Could you imagine? For 25 years, and they were taken at tender ages of five years old. By the time they would leave the army, after having uh, the Russian will thrust down their throat, very, very few of them remembered or knew anything about being Jewish. They were tough, they were tattooed, they were violent, and then all of a sudden, after 25 years, they were given their freedom. One such Cantonist, came back after all that time. Where did he say, where is he going to go? He went back to his village. One Shabbat afternoon, Ta'ish. One Shabbat afternoon, they're sitting there having their Gemara class. And he was an outsider. You know, they used to treat him differently. All the kids, they didn't, the kids didn't realize. They, Hazit, they used to make fun of him. What did they call him? They used to call him Yavani, Yavan. Yavan, Yavan. Why? Because for him, he was like the Greeks. He followed, uh, you know, a different culture to theirs. So the kids, they were too young to know how hurtful their words could be. They would call this guy, Yavan, Yavan, Yavan. Anyway, he's sitting in the shul. And the rabbi starts the class and he's doing a gemara. They're doing dafyomi. And it was the first day of a new masechet. What masechet were they learning? Masechet Yevamot. Anyway, every other word, what are they saying in the shiur? Shomeret Yavam. Yavam, Yavam. Yavam means... The man who's supposed to do the mitzvah of Yibum, which means if your, husband, if your brother's die, wife dies without any children, the halakha says, at least in, the time, in, the, in times gone by, they would, the remaining brother would marry the wife, the widow of his older of his brother, and they would have a child, they would name the child after this person, it would be a continuation of their nishama, the person shouldn't die and be forgotten. So they keep talking about the mitzvah, Yavam, when does the mitzvah of Yavam apply, Yavam, and the guy's getting more and more angry. Because what does he hear? Yavam, Yavam, Yavam. What does he think they're saying? Yavan. Eventually, he can't handle it anymore. He explodes. What kind of thing is this? I understand if the kids do it, but now I have to come to the synagogue, and they're making fun of me in the synagogue, and not only the regular people, but the most learned people, the people who are studying Gemara. You should be ashamed of yourselves. What a disgrace you are to the Jewish people. And you, Rabbi, I never expected you to make fun of me in the synagogue in front of the books. Yeah, I hear what you're saying. They're all trying to explain to him. No, we didn't say Yavan. We said Yavam. You have a different word. It's not the same word. And the guy, he doesn't speak Hebrew. He doesn't know it. He's saying, oh, of course you're going to say that. He's fuming. He's about to walk out. Everyone's trying to calm down. Until eventually, the rabbi himself walks up to him. He says, look, I need you to understand. Yavan, the last letter is the letter Nun. Yavam, the last letter is the letter Mem. We can't be saying the same thing. Yavan has a Vav. The other one has a Bet. It's a different word. We could not, we would not, could not have been making fun of you. And eventually the guy says, look, I know your tricks. I know how you guys weasel out of these types of things. I've always been an outsider. And now today, more than ever, ever before, he says, I've had it. You're telling me noon, man, what do I know? I never learned, I never had a chance to learn the Aleph Bet. 
How can I tell the difference if you're telling me the truth or you're telling me a lie? You want me to be able to discern? Teach me the Aleph bet so I could see the difference between a Mem and a Nun. And then I'll know whether or not you guys are making fun of me. They decide, you know what, they're going to teach him the Aleph bet. They teach him the Aleph bet. The Hafez Chaim, when he told over the story, he began to get emotional. And he says, and I met that young man. And you know who that young man was? He became the Ilui, the Gaon, the genius of Leipenshock, of a city nearby. He became a genius, a tremendous Tamil Chacham. After spending 25 years in the army, after not knowing a word, after thinking and taking offense from the word Yavam, that he was Yavan, the guy was the biggest Amaaretz that ever walked the face of the earth. And he became an Ilui, a tremendous genius that people came to for Torah, for learning to learn lessons to understand Halakha. The nature of kol habal taher, a person who comes to purify them, misayin oto, they help him. On that day, this girl, she was goya, she came to the riverbank, she stretches out her arm already because of the ratzon, Hashem is doing miracles for her. That is the nature of shefa, of si'ata dishmaya, help from heaven, when a person wants to do better. When Hashem looks inside of our heart and He sees that we want to pray with more kavana, He sees that we want to come to Minyan more often. He sees that we want to learn. We want to keep kosher in a better way. We want to answer Kaddish. We want to say Amen. We want to do the Berachot right. We want to have the Mizuzot in our house. We want to put on Tevilin every day. When He sees the desire that we have to get better, even though it seems impossible, I can never be like that. People tell me all the time, I see my friend, he's doing so well. You know, I wish I could do that. Rabbi, I'm just not built that way. The truth is, you're right. But HaKadosh Baruch Hu, when he sees the will, he ensures that there is also, Be'ezat Hashem, the way. Baruch Adonai Le'olam.